chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control Alt Desire, now streaming on Paramount Plus. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, Michael Tulip joins us. His turn to give his thoughts on Illinois basketball 76-50 route of Nebraska. Back-to-back wins for Illinois basketball, and just the eye test is far better with this team. They're looking connected. So I talked to Michael Tulip about why that is, what he thinks has changed for this team over the last two games, and how Brad Underwood's scheme changes have helped um, and why these players have, have stepped up here the last couple games. And, and Ty Rogers, is this a breakout performance for him? We talk about that. But before we get to Mike, I want to weigh in on a few quick topics. Number one, Illinois basketball has a new point guard. Nicolo Moretti commits to Illinois. A little bit of a surprise. Um, Illinois had been recruiting him. Derek Piper had written about him uh, as an option moving forward. Uh, but kid out of Italy. Another international get for Jeff Alexander. Talk about that here in a second. Uh, But a very capable ball handler, dynamic playmaker, according to everybody who's seen him. Uh, He played at the NBA Academy Games and shined. He had 10.3 points per game, 3.5 assists, shot 43% from beyond the arc. Derek Piper wrote of him in September. He's a talented ball handler and passer with very good vision and creativity. Moretti reminds the Illini staff of Andre Curbelo in that way. One difference is that Moretti has flashed more ability with his jump shot. I think the Curbelo comp aside, because people get it's a polarized name around here, I understand that. Curbelo is fantastic at one thing, right? Getting the ball inside the paint. Uh, off the bounce and, and Illinois doesn't have a lot of that Terrence Shannon can do it at times Jay Epps can get there but he's not as much of a creator for others uh, but he certainly can get to the bucket himself and, and score some points but this is a natural reaction to Sky Clark likely no longer going to be part of the program I, I think we can assume that when a player takes a long leave is he going to come back I, I, I don't see that happening but we don't know he said he's still part of the program we'll see where this goes but I do think Moretti joining the program says that they feel they need more point guard options for the future, and that comes in the same week they lose Sky Clark. So you can uh, one and one equals two there, right? Uh, you do have Dre Gibbs Lawhorn coming into this program as well, but I do think Nico Moretti, who Travis Branham uh, from Twenty Four Seven Sports first reported, is going to enroll immediately at Illinois. So you got Zachary Perrine and Nico Moretti both getting into Illinois mid semester here. I don't think Moretti's going to make a big impact. I don't think that's fair for Moretti to think he's going to make a big impact right away, right? A point guard thrown into the mix, got to catch up to the speed of the game, the talent at this level against Big Ten teams. Like, we haven't seen Zachary Perrin yet. And I think Moretti, even though he's probably a little bit more ready to play at this level just because of his position, his ability to handle the ball, uh, I, I don't expect him to make an impact. And, and, and they probably don't need him to, even though point guard – is is a thin position for them after Sky Clark leaves. So maybe, like Perrine, at some point you can get some spot minutes. But to get him into the program right now is huge, right? The fact that 
kind of like Dane Danger last year, you have time to adapt. You have time to figure out what the system is. And and for guys like Perrine and Moretti, get to adjust to a, a new country. Um, you know, he spent the last couple of years, or he spent this year in Australia for the um, NBA uh, Global Academy. He's in Australia. He's from Italy. So all those things. And I think, you know, I think this is going to be very valuable for the staff to get him up to speed. But it just certainly gives you another option uh, as, as a playmaker. And, and right now he's not ranked here. He didn't have a huge list of offers. We put on that film, and there's just some dynamic playmaking ability. Uh, Illinois needs more of that for the future. So we'll, we'll see what Brad Underwood has to say about Moretti when it becomes official from their side. But I do find it interesting. Jeff Alexander now. Illinois getting Illinois has been in the international recruiting. but It's been more of the Caribbean side of things with Orlando and Antigua, of course. Uh, Chin Coleman with Benjamin Bossman's Verdonk. But you're getting more into that European frame of things with Jeff Alexander getting Perrine from France. And now you get uh, Moretti from Italy. So interesting. You know, Tommy Lloyd, of course, at Gonzaga had success with this. Arizona, he's had success with this. Uh, so Illinois really becoming a global recruiter, which I think is a good thing. And it's a nice niche for Jeff Alexander on top of like his in-state recruiting and some of his other areas that he recruits. The other thing I got to weigh in and on is uh, Avery Jones, a four-star transfer, flips his commitment from Illinois football to Auburn. It's a big shock, and yes, I do think it's a big loss. No matter what Brett Bielma puts out there on Twitter, I got caught in the crossfire there. Uh, we're all good, by the way, if you guys even care about that. Uh, but East Carolina transfer, Avery Jones was a big get for Illinois. I, I just talked to Chris Hummer from 24-7 Sports. He has him as the top-ranked transfer center. Right, So this is a loss. Like Illinois thought he was going to be really good. Just a couple of weeks ago, I'm talking to an Illinois staffer who thinks this guy's an NFL player and that they're going to get him the NFL. And that was a sell to him. And Avery Jones was ready to enroll at Illinois. Avery Jones had an apartment lease ready to go in Champaign. And he travels down to Auburn and he commits to Auburn uh, over the weekend. And Brett Bielma was obviously not happy about this. And Brett Bielma vented on Twitter. Is that the right play? Is it the wrong play? I'll let you guys decide that. I think most of you guys like it because he's standing up for his program. And I'm not going to blame a coach for doing that. But this is the most outspoken we've seen. You know, quote tweeting a, a transfer saying things are changing basically in hashtag NIL. That's, that's kind of a, a shot across the bow, right? saying this kid basically committed to Auburn due to NIL. That's how we're supposed to take it, right? That's surely what he's suggesting. It's a different world in college football. And Avery Jones committed to Illinois, and he told me the most important thing was about getting the NFL. When you get a bunch of zeros thrown in your face, when you get a bunch of money thrown in your face, things can change. And I, I can't really blame some of these players if they want to take the top dollar figure. Is it the best thing for the long term? I don't know, probably going to the place that sets you up best for the NFL. Maybe he thinks that's Auburn because he's playing in the SEC. He's from North Carolina. No Southern football, of course, playing East Carolina. So th- this is a loss, though, for Illinois. But I think Brett Bielma, he even said it during a uh, convention, coaches' convention, that he hates NIL. That was one of his quotes. Now there's more context than that. He said he loves his profession, loves all of this. But I know Brett Bielma doesn't exactly like where this NIL is going. And most most coaches don't. And it's, you know, power is taken away from you. 
but it's just certain schools play by some rules, certain schools play by others. I just think it's the lack of oversight of this entire system and the fact that it's a wild, wild west and there's no rules is tough for coaches. I, I think this is mostly good for players. I think some players can get swallowed up and eaten, uh, you know, and spit out through this. You know, are you going to make decisions based on money? Are you going to make decisions based on the best fit? All those things. I think Brett Bielma was frustrated that he thought they evaluated a guy in Avery Jones. They won this recruitment. And Avery, out of most of these guys, like I, I heard he didn't really care that much about NAL. And then for all that to change, I think I understand why that is so frustrating for Brett Bielma. But this is what this is the era we're in. There are positives and there are negatives to NIL. And I think there's a lot of positives to it for players. I think there's a lot of positives for it for Illinois. Illinois basketball has you know, really benefited from this. Matthew Meyer probably wouldn't be here. It was Terrence Shannon be here. You know, Sky Clark obviously didn't work out, but it was a big part of him coming to Illinois, I believe, too. Not the only part, but it helps Illinois basketball. Illinois football, they're retaining some players right now because of NIL. But the other side of that is you basically have to recruit your roster if you're a coach. You have to recruit your recruits if you're a coach every single day because there's plenty of tampering going on. There's, you know, whether it's your players, your recruits, all of that. Like every day, you can get one upped. And my question is, is this sustainable? Like even for a program like Auburn that's got deep pockets, ridiculous fan base, great donors – at some point, can you keep paying college football players as much money? Maybe. Maybe they can. Maybe they can. But also, is there a reaction to it? Does this change? In five, ten years, they realize, oh, this is actually what a player costs. An offensive lineman or you know, a defensive lineman is not worth $200,000. He's worth this. Or does it keep going up? Because look how much money <laughs> these guys are worth uh, to head coaches, to programs. Of course, it's donors that are paying this. Um, man, to spend all your money on college football players, that, that's something to me. That, that is something to me that I guess I don't understand because I don't have that kind of money. But is there a reaction to this? Who who would it put in rules? Are, are they legal? Uh, is it the federal government? Is it the Big Ten and SEC? Uh, the NCAA seems toothless. They, they're scared to do anything um, pretty much due to the Supreme Court rulings that have gone against them. So I don't know where it's going to go, but I can tell you, Avery Jones is a loss for Illinois, no matter how it happened, because you were counting on him to come in. He was going to enroll. He was going to be there with Isaiah Adams, Julian Pearl, Zai Chrysler, and Jordan Slaughter to, to make up one of the best offensive lines in the Big Ten. And maybe it still can. Maybe they find another transfer center. Maybe Josh Kruitz is the guy. Maybe they, they make a position change. Like someone inside the program told me, like Isaiah Adams has the skills to be a center, and maybe if he was a center and a guard, could certainly show himself to the NFL. Maybe if he's a guard and tackle, he could do that. He certainly seems like he'd line up at right tackle with Julian Pearl at left tackle. But um, yeah, it's definitely a loss for Illinois. And see, it'll be interesting to see where they go from here. Uh, certainly a huge opportunity, I think, this spring for Josh Kruitz. But the timing of it didn't leave Illinois with many options uh, because spring semester starts. 15 other early enrollees just showed up on January 11th, Wednesday here. Um, so they got another week to get another guy in. That's very unlikely given everything they got to go through with admissions and all of that. So if they're going to add another guy, mostly likely will be uh, during the summer. So tough blow. And if it weren't a tough one, if it weren't a big loss, like I tweeted, I don't think Brett Bielma 
would be reacting the way that he has. So we'll see how they rebound from that, but they're usually pretty good at getting offensive linemen. All right, when we come back, Michael Tulip on Illinois basketball's back-to-back wins, including a huge road victory, their first of the season at Nebraska. That's next on the Illini Inquirer podcast. All right, it's time. That time week, catch up with Michael Tulip, our Line Enquirer basketball analyst. And Mike, I want to get into a lot of things today. After a, a great Illinois road victory, 26-point win at a place Purdue needed overtime to win, uh, at a place Iowa left with a 16-point loss. Uh, not easy to win at Nebraska, so I think it's a, it's a nice win. We got a Ty Rogers breakout. We got Terrence Shannon reasserting himself, right? We got a complete feels like team victory. Oh, we got to get into Dane Danger's defense, which I know you are very uh, excited about. Uh, we also got a commit that we want to talk about. So I'll leave the commitment at the end. So we'll talk about Nicola uh, Moretti uh, at the end of this thing. But, Mike, this is two nice wins. And, and I think I said on the podcast last night, I, I think this is a huge win for this team. But certainly things changed after that Northwestern loss. Maybe it was bubbling up after this. But Sky Clark leaves. I don't know how big of a factor that has. But this team just looks so much more connected over the last couple games. Yeah, it's like today's going to be like PTI, right? We're just ripping through topics. But I'll start by saying this, man. They're figuring it out. And sometimes you got to learn in different ways. And that Wisconsin game was a step in the right direction. All you want to see is, is consistency and and can you do it on a Tuesday night in Lincoln? That's I, I know you're going to get up for a Saturday game against a ranked team. We know that. Um, but can you do it, the tough ones, the what looked early like it was going to be an ugly one, uh, a rock fight? And look, I think we, we talked about going from liking each other to caring about each other. And these past two games have looked like a team that cares about each other. And when you care for each other, that's going to show itself in different ways. And look, I think there's, there's more buying and execution when you care for each other. There's more ball movement when you care for each other. Guys will cover for each other defensively when you care for each other. And when you care for each other, there's emotion and there's fire. And I think that's what I've noticed the most in these past two games is the emotion and like Dane Danger gets a stop and he's tied up with Walker. He rips the ball out of his hands and he flexes and RJ Melendez is, is flexing and, you know, pumping guys up. And uh, I saw Terrence Shannon. There was one play, RJ dives on the floor. Terrence pulls him up. They both high five. Like that stuff, it sounds so trivial, but it, it matters. Like touching wins. That's what, that's what people say. You know, when you are on each other, touch each other like that, it, it's, it's connectivity. And they're, they're showing that in a big way and uh, quite the turnaround because after Northwestern, you got to be incredible, man. They could have gone in a different direction. Yeah, Mike, I mean, we were talking about all those things, the press conferences, the, the, the comments, the the body language on the court, right? And, and just the way they were playing with each other. They didn't feel connected. Uh, I don't know if you have theories. Like, what do you think it is? Was it, was it just a – Underwood finally getting through to him, or was it the, the players just like, oh crap, this is this is going in the right dire- wrong direction? We have to change. Yeah, I mean a little bit of all of that. I'll start with the one word that Brad Underwood's mentioned a lot, and that's that's trust. You have to work to build trust. You don't start with it and lose it. You, you'll have all people in all sorts of walks of life that say you have my trust until you lose it. Pardon my French, but that's bullshit. <laughs> 
It just is. Yeah. I mean, you that is always earned. It's always built. And most times it's earned and it's built through adversity. It's earned and it's built through trials and tribulations. And for this team, they had to go through something. And they had to see it, right? They had to feel it. And sometimes that's how we learn, man. And you can get get it preached to you and until you say enough is enough i don't want this taste in my mouth after the game you know the way that we're playing what we're focused on this is bringing everybody's level of play down and when everybody's level of play down that'll bring the energy down so it's amazing when it flips and guys i've talked about it right relinquishing control and for for those of you that have listened to the podcast this isn't the first time I'm saying this either, but it's the working with no guarantees. I, I'll keep saying it because it's that important, right? I'm passing knowing I may not get it back. I'm cutting knowing I may not get the ball. I'm crashing knowing I may not get the rebound. But I'm doing it because it helps the team, right? Coleman Hawkins, everybody will watch that clip over and over again, that dunk. The only reason that that was possible is because Ty Rogers saw an opening and he flashed to the free throw line. And that flash got Breidenbeck or Breidenbach, whatever his name is, to take one step towards to cover the, for the flash. And now when the skip came, he was out of position and Coleman could drive baseline and dunk it. It's that stuff. Did, did Ty Rogers cut? Did he know? Did he cut because he knew he was going to get the ball? No. He cut because it was open, it was the right play, and it led to something great. And that is how that stuff builds. And you saw it in the second half. And then guys are smiling, 72-50, walking back to the huddle at the under four with two minutes, two and a half minutes left. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, smiles, smiles. It's fun, isn't it? It's fun. It's fun. And you, you know the feeling of what it felt when it was bad, and you know the feeling that you felt last night and the feeling you felt against Wisconsin. And now you'll fight to have that feeling every game, or at least you should. So that's, that's what you want to see with the consistency. But, man, this is a lot of maturity from these guys the past few games. Mike, you had your first two seasons at Illinois. You guys started Big Ten play incredibly poorly, right? But you got on these streaks. What is it like when it starts to turn? How do you continue that? Well, I think you have to constantly assess why it's working and what happened. Like I've talked about before, coaches are always – assessing making changes making adjustments but as a team and when you're in that locker room you got to be doing it too you got to take ownership of what this is and understanding okay what was the difference and how can we build on that game by game what can we bring to the table that is cemented and that is not just sitting with this shots go in shots aren't going in you can't ride that wave so yeah i mean i, I was a part of seven game losing streaks I was part of eight, an eight-game losing streak when we had nine new guys my sophomore year. And then we flipped things. Kendrick Nunn and Malcolm start. Uh, it's a different type of energy. But the one thing I'll say, too, is when guys put their egos aside and, and agendas aside, the only reason we started to have success at the end of the 2013-2014 season was because John Eakey and Joe Bertrand, two seniors, got taken out of the starting lineup for two freshmen and were 100% okay with it. And not, I don't say okay with it in a way where it's like non-competitive. It's okay, cool. We want to win. And you know what happened? We started winning. Yeah. And it wasn't because of the subtraction of them from the starting lineup. It's, hey, we needed to make a change. And we still need you to be John Eakey and Joe Bertrand. And they did that. And they, they both came up big in different ways. Eakey hits the three at, at Iowa to win the game. Like it's, 
it's that type of stuff, man. Let's bring it up. Sky Clark leaves, takes a leave from the program. I mean, I would be pretty shocked if he came back. Um, so that's a variable in all of this. And yeah. with him gone, what's the impact on the rest of the team? What have you seen is the impact on the rest of the team? Yeah, I don't think we'll ever know for sure um, how big of a deal it is or how little of a deal it is. But I, I do think something that at least I would think if I was in that locker room was I think everybody should realize their own basketball mortality. And shoot, when you're sitting there and you're fixated on, oh, me, me, NBA, I got uh, – uh, and then all of a sudden a guy is like, I got to take time. Like basketball isn't at the forefront for me right now. Like that, that'll change your perspective a little bit. So, you know, that could be the case. It could be completely random right maybe if sky was still on the team they they hit their stride anyways who knows like that's that's i know it's all speculation one way or the other but um the fact of the matter is yes you know sky's taking this leave of absence and it's it's coincided with the team taking off and i i don't think we can sit here and say either way that it's a sky thing right but i do think that there is something to things being bigger than basketball for sky and maybe that's that's that ties these guys together. Uh, I think they they said as much after after the Wisconsin game that that was you know that brought them closer. And those are the types of things that happen throughout the season where it's it's not always the things that you imagine, right? It's not always just man, there was this unbelievable speech in the locker room after Northwestern that galvanized the entire locker room and we flipped our season around. It's the stuff that you probably don't think of, right? Or the the stuff that you're not expecting. So you know, give them credit, man. They've they've turned this thing around and they've done it through playing a more mature brand of basketball through that up and down December. Um, me personally, I don't want to speak for you, Mike. I was a little frustrated by Terrence Shannon because we have seen he is capable of being an alpha, right? We, we have seen him being capable uh, of being a leader and, and being one of the best guards in the country. Well, the last two games, he seems to have really reasserted himself as I know I'm the guy. And, you know, cause he took what, seven eight shots against Penn State against Northwestern now you see him get going early in both of the last two games and Mike what is the impact of that for the team well I think about the four years that Terrence Shannon spent in college basketball you're you're crazy to think you don't develop habits and he was never the guy and the good thing about being the guy is when you know a lot of times you get credit for things Right, you're the your first team all league, whatever it is. Like, there's you are the focal point. Maybe you're up on billboards and in, in Champagne, up in Chicago. Like that, that's the the benefit of being the guy. The downside of being the guy is you can't take a night off. You can't. And I think beginning of the season, Terrence, I think believed that he was the guy. And then uh, sometimes you resort back to your habits when you're like, hey, I'm gonna spectate for a little bit, and that's not his fault. Like that's just who, that's just what he had done for four years was Moretti's running the point or, you know, one of these other McCullers running the point. Like he's, he's, he's watching. And I think he just realized, man, they need me. And, and this, that this, this team isn't going to scratch the surface of what their ceiling can be without him being really, really good. And he's taken that upon himself. He's clearly made it a point. His and and part of it too is I don't think it's any mistake that this is somewhat coincided with this flipping 
in uh, in offensive scheme. Yeah. Because you get him on these get actions where he's passing and following it up with a dribble handoff and coming off with a head full of steam. And now because there's so much player movement against a team like Nebraska, they are so good with those low holds. They'll just hold guys at the bo- at the bottom underneath the paint to deter you from driving to the basket. They're sitting right there for the rotation. But when that ball's pinballing around, they get more pressed up on their man because there's long closeouts. And all those long closeouts, what do they do? They open up the lane for Terrence Shannon. So I think Brad Underwood deserves a ton of credit, saying like, hey, how can we get our guys going and reverting back to a spread offense where probably early in his career he didn't have the guys for it to be really potent. He has the guys. Yeah. And, and it's it's helped in a big way, and it's helped Terrence Shannon. I wanted to ask you the X's and O's of all this, Mike, because you talked about like the the mental side of this, the the feelings, all of that. But what about the actual scheme change? Let's start with the offense. You mentioned yeah. Terrence Shannon, but Coleman Hawkins has four straight double digit games after having four single digit games. Matthew Meyer is playing as good a team offense as I've seen all season. We see Jaden Epps getting downhill. He was able to do that before, but what is the impact of the spread offense on this personnel? Yeah, look, this is this pivot has made this team so much more dynamic offensively. And the reason that's important is because of how good their defense is. If you just like if you get more efficient and manufacture higher quality looks, they may not go in but at least you're in a position to get back and set your defense. And at that point, this defense is elite. That, their half-court defense is very, very elite. And it's climbing now, right? It's top 25 in the country now. It's, and I think it's going to keep trending that direction. But the reason why the spread is so good for this team is because it's patterned, it's layered, and there's forced movement. And that forced movement, it's just it, – when you start moving, even if it's forced, you continue moving. Even when it's not the spread concept. Even when plays are broken down. Dane Danger gets an offensive rebound. Matthew Meyer recognizes that his guy's back's turned. Cuts right to the rim. Wow. We weren't seeing much of that before. Like It's just, it, it becomes muscle memory. Like, I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to keep getting open. And that may not lead to me getting the ball, but it's going to lead to somebody either having an open lane to drive or a forced rotation. All those things. So, Look, that's a credit to to Brad for switching things up, and it's a credit to these guys for buying into a deep to an offensive system. I was at that shoot around two weeks ago before Bethune Cookman. Holy cow! Like, I would have thought that was the first day they were learning it. I mean, just like everybody's pointing, you got to go here. They busted the play, started over. Like, it's gonna take time, but now you're seeing. Okay, they're repping it now, and it's married with fitting a personnel like this. It's, it's going to have this symbiotic effect because now you're going to have good offensive looks, more baskets, set your defense, and you're facing this, this really, really stout Illinois half-court defense. Mike, they teach me to only ask one question at a time, but I'm going to throw a couple of them at you, okay? Hit me. I, I'm sitting here wondering, like, Brad Underwood had all offseason, right? Yeah. And he didn't put this in. So, one, what do you think of that? Like, is, is that a negative on Brad? It's certainly a positive that he's made this change. And then, two, how difficult is this for the players, for the coaches? Like, you at least had time and practice the last month, given that it was kind of around the holidays. How difficult is that? So, first, that, that's the second part. But first, should Brad get criticism for not knowing this is the best for his team? Uh, 
<laughs> I mean, if if you want to, I guess. Um, it's just amazing, isn't it? Like, you, well, you have yeah. you have so many new guys, mm-hmm. and part of it is when you have a new team. The first thing you do for months is defense. That's it. That's all you do. That's most of what you do. Some of the offensive stuff you're doing more breakdown drills, but for the most part, you are repping your defense. And we can talk about the offense. It sure looks like they rep their defense. And, I, and I'll say this too. I know they switched. They, they've abandoned that, that switching. I think that's helped as well. But look, I think you always have to – like coaches aren't perfect. And I think if you ask Brad, like, hey, would you start the season doing more spread? Sure, I'm sure he'd say yeah. But at the same time, you have to learn in certain ways, right? Whatever you think your team is going to be, the, the reality is you have nine, ten, however many new guys. And – what you see in practice can sometimes be misleading because once you get to the game, you can't forecast guys going rogue or you don't, you don't put in an offense thinking, Hey, so when we don't trust each other in early December, like you just don't do that. Like, why would you do that? You, you always want to think the best of your team. Now you have contingency plans. And I think you're crazy to think that all of a sudden he, like he didn't just wake up in late December and say, shoot, what if we ran spread? I think at some point in the offseason, there was going to be a contingency plan. If this didn't work out, we were going to pivot. And I think they pivoted. And you have at least a couple guys who, who know some of the ins and outs of it. Um, but for the most part, you're getting guys up to speed. And that's hard. Like, to go to your second question, that's very hard. And, and it's even more it's, – it's even harder when you are dealing with, okay, we got to implement a new offense and we're having trust issues right now. So how do we manage that? But it's it's – it's opened up everybody's offensive game. And I think that's what guys are, are realizing. I, I think I, I tweeted it last night. You get that thing moving, everybody eats, yep. period. Everybody eats, and the ball has more life. I think it was Larry Brown or even early Bulls days with Phil Jackson. Like, hey, why do we want to run the triangle? Because Bill Cartwright needs a touch, okay? Because if Bill Cartwright gets a touch, he'll start – you know, defending at a higher level. He'll feel more engaged. He'll feel more into the game. Uh, Larry Brown said the same thing. We're going to throw it to Ben Wallace, right? And you're sitting there like, why are you throwing it to Ben Wallace? Like, what? That's just, that's not his game. It's like, well, if I throw it to Ben, he'll be more in tune defensively. That's just, the ball has energy. So you want to touch it. And, and, and you just saw it, like it was, it just was carryover. And, and they're 18 to 22 year olds, man. You get the ball and you feel involved you're going to be more locked in. That's just how it works. We'll get to Ty Rogers. I want to get to the defensive side, but yeah. I think a guy who's benefited, man, um, and, and kudos to him for, for showing some some mental toughness. R.J. Melendez, you know, kept shooting. He had a couple rough-looking ones against Nebraska, but he kept shooting, hit some big shots uh, in that game, big offensive rebound for a putback. I, you know, sometimes I wonder about – can RJ fight through this adversity a little bit? Like that was a really good sign from him. He's doing some little things and he's going to continue to shoot. Uh, if he keeps shooting, man, I, I think it's all going to work out for him. So that was a, his first double digit game in, in, in seven games. So that, that, that felt like a good performance. He's really important, man. He's, he's really, really important to this team. And I don't say that in a way that's like, you know, we need you to be Bradley Beal every game. But we just need you to be a guy. Like, seriously, if I'm R.J. Melendez, you can't have the is this a good one 
mentality. If you're RJ Melendez, I got a sliver of space. See ya. It's up. And just keep shooting because he's that good of a shooter. He's a, he's a high, high level shooter, man. I, I, I told you, I was, I, I've seen practices. I, I've, I've watched shoot around. The dude doesn't miss. And, and there's a reason why they keep feeding him. There's a reason why they keep going to him. They, they, they had a couple deliberate plays for him. There was one in the, in the second half, or maybe it was in the first half, where they, he hits a three in the corner. It's, it's a designed jam screen action where they, they set that screen on the baseline for him to come out to the corner, swing. Nebraska just got lost, and he hits the three. So they're drawing things up. They're dialing things up for him because I think once he sees a shot go through, and he, his first shot was an air ball, yeah. and his third shot was an air ball. <laughs> and to be able to come back – and that's what, how shooters have to be. It's mind. It's got to be mindless for them. You start being mindful as a shooter. It's like, it's not good. It's like golf. It, it, you just you can't have seven different swing thoughts when you're up there. So for him, I, you saw it right. He got going on that end, and then I thought he was so good. They ran so many staggers out of horns and um, you know double drags and the staggers, and and he's getting attached to Tominaga and getting attached to these guys and. Uh, he was so dialed in defensively. I thought that the play that he made diving on the ball at half court when the Nebraska guy didn't want to do it, go all the way back to the preseason, man. What did we talk about with RJ Melendez? The tough stuff. Like, if he does the tough stuff, dude, we know you can shoot it. Yep. Go be a menace on the glass and dive on the floor, and you're going to see yourself playing 25 minutes a game, man. You're too good not to. So that, that's it was really encouraging to see that, and you hope that for the kid that he just continues to build on that because that's going to help his team tremendously. All right, Mike, for how much we really appreciate this guy that I'm about to bring up, g- going to put him in, in some high some high, uh, <laughs> high status here, okay? Yeah. How good is Dane Danger as good or better of a defender as Nana Egwu? I said it. I said, I, is he in that category? Wow. That you just you just I'm, I'm throwing it out and him. you you know how much I love Nana Egwu's defense. I defended that kid for four years because people wanted him to shoot. I'm like, he shouldn't be in that role, right? I, he just needs some better teammates around. Like, but man, like Dane's starting to give me all defensive Ooh. team vibes. Yeah, no, he is. And look, Nana's near and dear to my heart, man. <laughs> he, the thing that I know with Nana is that. However good you think your motor is, you'll never outmotor the guy. It's true. You'll never outmotor him. I, I never. I I was that guy's teammate for three years. I never saw him take a single playoff in practice, ever. I mean, he is yelling, talking, screw, like it was never just when it was good for Nana. It was every single time. And now I will say, I think Dane is better on the ball um, in terms of just his ability to keep his hands off block shots. Nana was probably better coming from the weak side yeah. and coming over and being selective at when to do that. Now Nana could, could you could switch with Nana. Like we emergency switch stuff. Like he I remember specifically we beat Maryland in 2014-2015 and they went high ball screen with Melo Trimble constantly and they had nothing for Nana. Like Nana was 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 not getting beat. He stayed in front. Like Nana was high, high level. And granted, that's a guy that spent a lot of time in college basketball. With Dane Danger being this early on in his career, his drop coverage, and we didn't do a ton of that with Nana. Right. Nana would fire out. He was hard hedge. We would corral with him. We would switch at times with him. 
But drop coverage and choosing when to commit, when to drop back, when to hit, when to get. I mean, Dane, at this point in his career, it should be impossible that he's this good at it. And it should be impossible that he's this good at keeping his hands off of guys and not fouling on the ball. I think he had four fouls last night. There was like a box out. Uh, he elbowed Greasel. Um, there was a couple like, offensive fouls, right? Yeah, a couple offensive fouls. None of them were like head up on Walker. I, I mean, I, I, I keep saying it every game. You know what other teams hate? Trying to score on Dane Danger. It just doesn't happen. They were 11 and, for 23 on layups last yeah. night and, and that's not all like Meyer was a part of that Hawkins but that's what that length does right but danger is a huge part of that and and I put up the stat last night Mike I'll bring it up here again they are two-point defense and block percentage they are the best they've ever been under Brad Underwood mm-hmm. um, by far better than they've ever been block percentage they're 12th in the country they've never been better in 257 under Brad and then two-point percentage isn't Kofi was good in drop coverage they're better under Dane. They're ninth in the country in two-point percentage. Last year and the year before with Kofi, they were 20th. Yeah, and, and Dane's – and this is nothing against Kofi, but but Dane's a better drop defender. Right. Um, he just is. He's And part of that's his length. He's got more length than Kofi. Mm-hmm. So he's able – that allows him to stay in the play a little bit more. I thought Kofi at times would take himself out of the play, either trying to go block a shot or a futile attempt to weak side block. Dane doesn't have to do that. Um, you know, he doesn't jump too high off the ground, but he doesn't need to. And actually, I think it helps him because that means he can get back down to the ground quicker. So, yeah. so it's one of those things, man. Where like, yeah, I mean, you're, I, I see it here. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible to see kind of the stark contrast and, um, you know, what this offense looks like. I mean, it was humming back, you know, when Io, when Io was here. You're, you're talking about being top ten in both categories. That's insane. That's like national championship stuff, right? Um. Yeah, you go back, there's a lot of – there's teams – Virginia in 2019, uh, North Carolina back in 2009. Like, there are a lot of teams that have won national championships being being both top ten in those categories. But this defense, man, that's that's what I'm looking at. I mean, they're, they are ahead right – you know, right now they're they're ahead of where some of these teams have been in the past. Yeah, so I, I threw out that Nanded thing just for fun because I know how much we, we love him. But, but Dane can be as, as, as impactful of a defender, and he has been at times this year. So I want to ask you, Mike, going into Big Ten play, when you got Trace Jackson Davis, you got Hunter Dickinson, of course, Zach Eady, uh, how do you think this holds up? How do you think this defense, which Brad Underwood has been saying, our defense can be elite. We are very good defensively. Um, how good do you think it can be against some of the best teams of the Big Ten, including Michigan State this weekend? I think it could be good because look, when they're right, when they're playing together and communicating and I kind of like the selective gambling that they did last night. I mean, if you're going to go make an attempt at the ball, you're going to go run behind somebody and try to steal it. You better go with full force. And they did that last night and they're, they're forcing turnovers. They are, you know, they're, they've been so good uh, even just recently at, at, you know, not letting teams just completely bully them on the offensive glass. Um, this can hold up. And I think Dane's a big part of that. Because Dane, what Dane does is allow Coleman to kind of roam around. Yeah. That's important. Because now you free a guy. Like, Dane's got such a big body where even if he doesn't block a shot, odds are if it's, if it's a Trace Jackson Davis, if it's a Hunter Dickinson, if it's a Zach Eady, he can hold the fourth down and box out and allow some of these other guys to come in and clean up. So I think that's it's a big asset. Now let's let's call it what it is 
he hasn't faced an Edie Dickinson or Jackson Davis this entire season. So now Bona's a good player. Yeah. And Bona's probably going to find himself in the league, but different type of player than those those other three guys. So um and it and the hits keep coming too. You got Cliff Murray, you got a number of guys in this league that that are really, really good bigs. I mean, shoot, even Sissoko, man. Yeah. Uh he presents his own challenges just with his length and athleticism and motor. So, and I've um, never been a big fan, but Robrach is having a really good year. Yeah, he's 15 a game. <laughs> <laughs> he's 15 a game, and, and he's just been so solid. He's he's like kind of Kaminsky light, yeah. where he has to do everything with pivots and 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 working around the basket. So, um, yeah, I mean, shoot, I I'm thinking in my head just all these all these other teams, man. It, it seems like everybody has a, at least a serviceable big. Um, so Dane's going to have his work cut out for him, but the foundation and just gut, like his instincts to start with, he's, he's, he's put himself in a, in a really, really good category defensively. And he may not be on that all defensive team. Like we talked about, but shoot, he's going to get a vote or two. No yeah. question. No, uh, he definitely deserves to, to be in that conversation for sure. We haven't brought it up yet. The Ty Rogers game. Uh, it's great to see Mike because yeah. he, he was one of my favorite guys in this class, if not my favorite, because I just felt like everything he did translated so well to this level outside of shooting, of course. And I don't think that's going to get fixed this year, but we've seen him score some points. Like he can be um, a non-zero on that end of the floor. And a lot of times it's just effort plays, right? It, it's it's offensive rebounds, which he had four of last night before points, seven rebounds, but it felt like he had such a huge impact on winning. So what do you think that game meant for him and what he can maybe springboard into the rest of the year? Yeah. Every team that's worth a damn has a Ty Rogers. Um, a guy that's just unconditional with his effort. Just looks like he's, he's fighting for his life out there in a good way. Not meaning that it looks super difficult for him, but, but he plays like, man, there's just so much desperation to his game now early on in the season I thought he was a little bit frantic uh, I thought he was a little bit out of control but he's been able to look more comfortable and settled while still playing with the fire that he plays with and that's that's a a really a really impressive thing for a freshman to do that's came in high expectations was kind of shelved against Northwestern and, and then now you come out and you hope that this is a springboard game for him and I think what you're seeing too is that when he picks his spots, when to cut, hey, just don't be in no man's land, standing at 17 feet. Uh, he's a really good compliment for for these guys. I mean, he's he's a guy that at the very minimum, like very minimum, is going to guard his ass off, going to crash the glass, and cut. And honestly, that's all you need from him. So I, I, I'm. I'm happy for him because guys like that, guys that play like that, at some point you get rewarded. And I'm not just talking about like the micro stuff where AJ Red throws it off the backboard for a dunk, but you get rewarded. And man, when when things are dire, being a guy that's like, hey, I know exactly what he's going to bring, exactly what he's going to bring. You're going to find a you're going to find a Big Ten game this season. Don't know when it's going to be a very very important Big Ten game. That is under 45 seconds, and Ty Rogers is going to be on the floor. He's going to be on the floor. Like it's it's it may be because of foul trouble or because of this, but like he's a guy that I think you can trust because he brings those things to the table. And his offensive rebound rate is number two on the team. 
outside of Dane Danger. So, like, if he's on the floor with Meyer and Hawkins, I, I think that's a great compliment to those yeah. guys. Especially if you got four other shooters on the floor and you got Ty Rogers, man, I think he can do a lot of damage there. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's why I said I think he's a really good compliment yeah. when he's when he's right and when he's when he's thinking offensively. When I say thinking, I mean, hey, mindful of spacing and mindful of I don't want to get in anybody's way. But if I'm a cut, I'm a cut hard. I'm not going to cut with indecision. I'm going to try to pull some guys with me. I'll show the clip. Stick around for the film. That Coleman Hawkins dunk, that was Ty Rogers, man. That was Ty Rogers. So he keeps doing more of that. Minutes are going to start to slowly uptick. And you know, Luke Goody's return is on the horizon too. Yeah. So I I guess log jam. <laughs> I, but eventually those things start – they'll play – They'll play themselves out. So, um, does the spread help him too, Ty? Yes. Yeah. Yes, because now he can be a cutter. Yeah. A constant cutter, and or you can give him the ball in the pinch post. Like he's a guy that could eventually be be getting some touches in the pinch post. But the structured randomness five out, it, it puts him more so. It stagnates him, and if it stagnates him, then you don't have to honor him offensively. And you can load up, yeah. you can get in the gaps, and the ripple effect that has on a Terrence Shannon, on a Matthew Meyer, it's, it, it is. I mean, it's, it's when he's right, man, he's, he's a big compliment for the team. Yeah, and I loved his defense on uh, Greasel. I thought that was uh, oh. fantastic. And it just shows what he is capable of being. Like, I think he's going to be one of the best defenders in the league at some point. Like, and he'll get some freshman calls. Yeah. That's just, I thought he got a couple last night where the ref's almost like, no way a freshman's guarding this guy this well. That's got to be a foul. And, and they called it, I mean, they called it a couple times when Greasel was driving and he was just getting walled off and Ty was shutting that water off and they were, the refs were like, foul? I think that's, no way he's guarding that well. So, you know, he'll continue to gain that respect, which is a real thing mm-hmm. with officials, right? Some guys get more leeway than others. I think Terrence Shannon gets more leeway than, a guy like Ty Rogers, but he'll earn that. Trent Frazier with his hands got over. Trent Frazier just like mauling guys <laughs> last year. It didn't matter because you're like, well, Trent's really a good defender. So yeah. this is what happens. Mike, what a monster game. Friday night, uh, early in this Big Ten schedule. Illinois bounces back, and what do you know if they can take care of business at home against Michigan State? They can get even here in the Big Ten and what is a muddled mess. Like I think Purdue's gonna set the pace here. Uh they're four and one, I believe. Uh, in the league, and, and and they're just they're just really consistent right now, which a lot of these teams in the league aren't. But uh, they're not unbeatable, of course. But what do you think of this matchup? Michigan State's won seven straight. Uh, it hasn't been a murderer's row for them, but um, two teams starting to play better. Uh, what what are the keys? Do you think to this matchup? Well, this is going to be Michigan State's toughest opponent since Thanksgiving. Yeah, they've played good teams. But the way this Illinois team's playing right now, like this is this is going to be their toughest opponent. That play should be absolutely rocking. Um, they're a step above, obviously, what Nebraska does defensively. Nebraska, great on rotations, disciplined, um, won't necessarily turn you over. And and this Michigan State team is like 350th in the country at doing. Like they don't turn you over, but what they do do is keep you off the glass. I mean, they're they're top whatever it is, top twenty, I think, in the country. And in uh, yeah, I think I think teams are getting twenty two percent back on the glass on the oh, offensive glass. Eleventh in the country in defensive rebound percentage. Yeah, that's nuts, man. That's nuts. You're getting you're getting uh, whatever that is seventy eight percent back. That's that's pretty darn good. So 
Yeah, you know, look, you're going to have your work cut out for you. They don't give you a lot of second chances, like I mentioned, but the fact is this is different than some of these teams that have won a ton, these Michigan State teams, because those teams with Cassius Winston and some of those guys, they had high turnover rate, but they had a really efficient offense. This is somewhat the opposite. They're they're not as good offensively as they were with those teams, um, but they also give themselves more opportunities because they don't turn the ball over as much. Like A.J. Hoggard, I, I heard someone flashed a graphic in maybe the Northwestern Indiana game that Chase Audige and Boo Booey are the like, top backcourt in the Big Ten. That's not true. Um, it's, it's Tyson Walker and, and A.J. Hoggard, in my opinion. Um, yeah, which is, why, because, which is why I like this Michigan State team more than a lot of people coming in because guard play in the Big Ten is pretty down right now. And, and they, yeah. have, they have guards that I know that can produce at this level and figured they'd take a step forward under Tom Izzo. It was just about center, and, and Matty Sissoko's obviously stepped up. But sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, and, and Malik Hall has been – him coming back and reinserting himself in the lineup is is massive. But, I mean, A.J. Hoggard, you're talking about one of the best facilitators in college basketball, probably the best in the conference, right? He's had plenty of games, 10 assists, two turnovers, eight assists, one turnover. Like, that's what he does. He's a maestro in ball screens. He's made Sissoko's life so much easier. And they do some role replace stuff with Joey ha- – with, or with, with Hauser. Yeah, Joey Hauser, Sam Hauser, Joey, Joey Hauser. And he's made all their lives easier. So the challenge is right there. Like, can you, can you make it difficult for AJ Hoggard? And can you keep these other guys, these Malik Halls, these Joey Housers, can you keep them from being guys that are just impacting the game with their effort? And for Joey specifically, is his his shooting? Um, and, and just sometimes I feel like I'm watching Michigan State's games. I'm like, how's that guy open again? <laughs> like, how is he open at the top of the key once again on a roller place? And that's because Hoggard makes you have to stay. He uses he, he was so he is so physical. He's big. He gets into you, so you have to trail him off the ball screen, which means the big has to stay, which means Sissoko's on a free run to the rim. So whoever Joey Hauser is man is has to tag on the roller, which means Hauser's getting wide open shots. So you you have to be good and you have to fight through ball screens. You have to you, know, you have to be tough. This is a toughness game, like it always is against Michigan State. You won 56-55 last year. Uh, you know, like it, it may not be another game like that, but I'll say this. I don't think this Michigan State team is good enough offensively. If you sniff 70, you win this game. And the way you sniff 70, I don't want to focus on just the offensive end. It's got to be your defense, right? Your defense leading to transition. Your defense leading to quality looks on the other end and vice versa. Quality looks on the offensive end leading to you setting your defense. So that, that's the story for me. Yeah, Mike, I feel like we overlooked that. Like, what's gone down here recently? Turnovers for Illinois. What's gone up? Turnovers for the opposing team, feels like. And points yep. off turnovers, fast break points uh, have definitely gone up for Illinois. Well, let me let me say this, too. We always look at, oh, 10-0 run, oh, 12-0 run, 8-0 run. And we think about that through an offensive lens for some reason. Mm-hmm. Why is it a run? Stops. It's a run because you're getting stops. That's right. So, you know, that's, that's why it happens. Like, I, I think I said on post-game radio last night, watch any college basketball game. We fall for it because we watch a lot of Illinois, and you're like, oh, my God, these scoring droughts. This is ridiculous. Every single team has them. Kansas, 13 minutes last night. 13-minute scoring drought. Like, it happens. You got to be able to guard, period. And this team can guard. So that's, that's going to that's gonna have you in the game for all these Big Ten games. It's just a matter of whether or not who you want to be offensively. Uh, Mike, before I let you go, Illinois has a new member of the team. 
apparently. Uh, Nicola yeah. Moretti. Uh, yeah. You mentioned Moretti playing at Texas mm-hmm. Tech. His little brother, Nicola, Italian guard, played for NBA Global Academy. I believe that's down in Australia. A lot of good players have come through there. Benedict Matherin, I know, is, is one of them. Um, but this adds a, a point guard after losing a point guard. I wouldn't expect him to make a, a big impact this year, kind of like Zachary Perrain, but it's great long-term to get him in the program. And you certainly need some point guard depth here uh, for the long-term, um, along with, with Jade Neps, who is more of a combo guard, more scoring guard. Um, so have you seen a little bit of him? What do you think of, th- of this addition for Illinois, another international guy for uh, Jeff Alexander? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really solid addition, man. I think – he was so good in the FIBA U18 for, for Italy and um, obviously had a great showing in Vegas a month ago with, with the NBA Global Academy. And look, he's not going to blow you away with his burst. He's not going to blow you away with his athleticism. I actually think a good comp for him is a guy that's probably one of the better point guards in college basketball right now. It's Tyler Kolick from mm. from Marquette. And, and the, what makes Tyler Kolick so so good is the way he manipulates ball screens. He manipulates ball screens with his pace. And when you play with pace, when you're manipulating that, like that's how you make up for not being a supreme athlete. That's how you get maybe a good, really good defender to pause for a second. And then you go and playing with a little bit of uh, shake to you. And that's, and that's what he does. And he's, he's a really capable shooter. I just think it's a, it's, it's really good stability um, for this team for the, you know, for the future. And you never know what, what things are going to look like year to year with the portal and with guys leaving, guys coming in. But uh, I think this is a good pillar, right? I mean, you look at guys like Kirk Kariza and um, guys that have had success and uh, being just maestros and ball screens and what how, what that opens up for the rest of your team. So I think it's a tremendous pickup. Listen, I know we kind of said this maybe a little bit in jest the other day, but like they do miss Andre Corbello in ball screens. Like his yeah. ability to just get to the lane and, and play with pace like you're talking about. Uh, Moretti feels like he's got a little bit of that in his game, which this team and this program needs. Jeremy, I watched Andre last night, <laughs> and I texted you. I said, hey, we just got an incredible Andre Corbello <laughs> sequence. He he comes downhill with his right hand. He freezes his own guy. He makes you know he goes up like he's going up for a right-handed layup, and he just continues his arm forward into a lob for Soriano for a dunk. They come back down. He's slapping the floor at half court and Eric Hunter, Purdue Eric Hunter, who's now at Butler for the third time in the game got picked at half court by Curbelo. He dives on it, flips it up, layup. Like it was just, man, a lot of stuff obviously went on. A lot of stuff transpired with Andre Curbelo. But um, if you can get a guy who probably is a little more measured, but still brings those those certain traits. I think it's a positive. Yeah, no, uh, and it, I think that's what Illinois is trying to get here. Well, Mike, uh, you're always the goods, man. We appreciate the inside as always. It's uh, a little bit more fun uh, to talk about a couple more wins and a couple big games coming up. So thanks, man. Let's keep it rolling. Thanks to Michael Tulip, as always. He's the goods. And uh, check out his film room that I'll be putting up on uh, Thursday morning. Fantastic breakdown of that win. Just the little things that, you know, us as just casual basketball observers, we watch the ball. I try not to do that as much, whether it's football or basketball. I try to watch everything else going around because the basketball you can kind of see in the corner of your eye, the periphery, right? But everything else going on, I've gotten better at watching it. And it's mostly because of guys like Michael Tulip and Jay Lehman who give us their great insights. So uh, they just change the way. I watched the sports uh, that they analyze for us. So uh, go check that out. You'll see a lot of little things that maybe we don't pick up on as casual fans. 
Uh, but great stuff from Mike, as always. Check out all of our content at Illini Inquirer. Derek Piper uh, gave some thoughts on Nicola Moretti, uh, the addition to Illinois in the class of 2023, but he's going to be here uh, very shortly, apparently. So we'll see if uh, Brad Underwood has anything official to say about him if they do make that official uh, in the coming days. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to shout out my baby girl, the one you hear at the end of each podcast telling you bye, everybody. Uh, Lillian, my baby girl, is now four years old, starting to feel a little old, but it is her birthday as I'm recording this on Wednesday, January 11th. So happy birthday, Lily. Get the entire day with her. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, she loves yellow, the color yellow. She loves preschool. Uh, She is ridiculously funny for a four-year-old. So uh, it's been awesome to be a girl dad. uh, And she definitely makes my life better. Like my wife and I, like my wife's kind of been anti making her like a girly girl, but she's starting to turn into one, which is actually a lot of fun. Uh, for me because I didn't have any sisters growing up I only had one girl cousin with a bunch of boy cousins so uh, it's been a lot of fun and, and she's made me certainly better uh, as a person the last four years so happy birthday baby girl everybody have a great day take care of each other and we will talk to you next time on the Illini Enquirer podcast bye everybody